Hello and welcome to the Wachingen Alternative Protein Podcast. I am Josh, a food technology student at Wachingen University, and I will be your host for today. Today we are being joined by Jasper and Mick from the respectively food microbiology and food process engineering departments. They will be talking about their projects that are very related to all proteins and how the University of Wachingen has a role in the protein transition worldwide. Um, yeah, Mick, would you like to introduce yourself first? Yeah, sure. Thank you for uh, the introduction already and for inviting both of us for this podcast. Uh, so my name is Mieke Schlangen. I'm a, at this moment almost fourth year PhD candidate. Uh, in April I will start my fourth year uh, at the Food Process Engineering uh, Group in Wageningen. And I've actually also done my uh, bachelor and my master uh, at Wageningen University in the food technology area. And uh, right now I'm uh, in my PhD project, I'm focusing on uh, plant proteins and specifically structuring those uh, plant proteins into meat analogues. Uh, for this, we in our group have a, um, a kind of in-house developed technology called uh, shear cell technology. Uh, that yeah, it's, it's, it has some similarities with extrusion, which is uh, more common, but uh, yeah, it's a kind of a special technique and we can make really nice fibrous uh, meat-like structures with, uh, with it. It sounds actually very interesting, and we're definitely going to get, uh, get back on that to have our listeners that have less of a food technology focus uh, understand what it actually is. Uh, yeah, Jasper, can you also introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, Joyce. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Uh, so I'm Jasper Swinkels. Um, I'm currently also a PhD candidate at the group of food microbiology. Um, I did my bachelor's and master's food technology also here in Wageningen, um, and uh, I started my PhD off in kind of an unfamiliar way. Uh, I started it as a researcher on the protein transition investment theme project. Uh, at this project, I looked at uh, improving the nutritional quality of plant foods uh, through fungal fermentation. Uh, here we used uh, kind of uh, old-fashioned fungal fermentation, uh, such as tempeh fermentation and koji fermentation. And currently, um, I just started my PhD project, uh, which is about a novel solid-state fungal fermentation. Where we use, where we do actually the same, but then we use uh, the mycelium of mushroom-producing fungi to also enhance the nutritional quality, but also look at flavor compounds. Uh, that also sounds incredibly interesting. Uh, thank you both for your introductions, and I'm sure all of our listeners right now are wondering uh, why this episode is different compared to the usual because we never had two uh, different guests at the same time. Um, but there is actually a very specific reason. So, um, as you told me, uh, Mick, you are using the product of Jasper's uh, fermentation to uh, structure. So, can you first, um, in very brief words, uh, let our listeners know what uh, the shear cell technology actually is? Yes, sure. So, the shear cell technology was uh, originally uh, used as a Rheometer actually. It was built uh, to understand what's happening in extrusion processes. Uh, but whilst uh, working with the rheometer uh, years back, I think like more than 10 years back, uh, they actually by accident found out that it also formed very nice fibrous meat-like structures that looked a little bit like chicken. Um, and that's what basically started the whole meat analog um, area within our uh, food process engineering group. Um, so the technology is based on uh, heat and deformation. Uh, so in brief, what we do is we, we get some plant proteins. Um, for example, uh, a system that works very well is with soy protein isolates uh, and pectin. We mix those together until it forms almost a little bit of a cookie dough texture. Uh, so it's quite dry, actually, the, the dough that we have. 
Then we transfer the dough into our shear cell. And the shear cell is uh, a cone-in-cone device. Uh, so it's basically two cones that almost fit perfectly into each other. And between those two cones, we can put our dough. Now we close the two cones and then we basically start our uh, heating and shearing process. So we heat at high temperatures, uh, usually 120 or 140 uh, degrees Celsius. And then we shear at the same time. And shearing basically means that we are rotating the bottom cone while we are keeping our top cone stationary. And in that way we are adding a form of deformation and shear uh, to our sample. Um, then after a few minutes, we, we stop this process and we cool our sample down until room temperature. Um, and then uh, once we actually look at our sample, we can reveal usually a very nice fibrous uh, texture. Um, so this texture is really um, based on the deformation that we are creating during the heating process. And during this deformation, we can elongate uh, certain domains in our sample to form um, yeah, fibrous texture. Thank you for the explanation. So... Most of the times, especially in the initial research part, you have been using uh, plant materials, uh, as I understand. Yeah, that's uh, correct. Then my question would be mostly to Jasper. Um, can you explain uh, why the mycelium of uh, fungi uh, is an alternative to plant proteins and what its advantages and disadvantages are compared to something like that? Uh, yeah, so uh, it's in, in a way it's a co comparable method. Uh, but in another way, it's totally not a comparable method. So while uh, Meek uses um, protein isolates in her methods, for example, we use whole plant foods. So the only pre-processing would be boiling. Uh, and the mycelium basically does all the work. And in that way, we uh, aim to get uh, an improved flavor, improved nutritional quality, but also an improved texture because the mycelium has uh, long threads called hyphae. Uh, and as Meek explained yesterday, uh, with the older methods like extrusion, you can get uh, the fibers on a macro scale. Uh, with the shear cell, you can get them on a smaller scale, but they still can't go to a micro scale. While the hyphae of uh, mycelium are on a micro scale. So these hyphae actually produce texture on a micro scale, while, uh, but the only disadvantage is that they produce a texture in all directions. While with the shear cell, you put uh, texture in only one direction, uh, which is um, like the meat fibers. Yeah, and so other than uh, the structure itself of the mycelium, um, do you also have nutritional differences between uh, the shear cell technology and then fermenting with uh, something uh, with fungi? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, because we use whole plant foods, there's already a big difference. Uh, so it, depending on the food we choose, we have... Uh, a difference in protein content, but the protein content would most likely always be lower. Uh, but then all the other components are still present. So the fibers and the carbohydrates are sti uh, still present. Um, and the mycelium, the fermentation alters the nutritional quality, but in a completely different way from uh, what, we, what you would have with a shear cell. Um, what we also aim is to get a protein quality which uh, is very close to meat just by uh, fermentation. So we use uh, a substrate with a very low protein quality and we aim to improve it through fermentation. While for uh, the shear cell technology, you would just use uh, a combination of different ingredients to meet the same protein quality of meat. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think the beauty is also that we're trying to satisfy different or maybe also partly similar groups of consumers because we know from literature that um, consumers are interested in meat analogues. 
or in alternatives to meat. Um, but one of the reasons why they're still not um, accepting the current meat analogs is the texture, uh, but also the, the fact that uh, they believe that current meat analogs are highly processed. And I think the texture is something that within my project is very important. Uh, but Jasper also mentioned that uh, in his projects, they are, can really create these, these structures at a much smaller length scale than that we can do with the shear cell. So there's a nice combination there. Uh, but then also Jasper is working more on the nutritional quality that hopefully also can help um, kind of show consumers that meat analogs don't have to be uh, highly processed. Yeah. Um, I also wrote a lot of papers that mention the consumer behavior regarding all proteins and another really important factor for basically any consumer sector all around the world. Um, it's always told that there are three factors. It's price, price, and price. So um, do the both of you think that your processes will arrive to be um, at a low enough cost that they could compete with more, let's say, traditional uh, protein products, uh, but also with meat, which also in this case, uh, with how meat, uh, with how expensive meat is right now in the current climate, um, it's not that hard to do anymore. Uh, but yeah, what do you think is going to be um, the point in which all protein products will be comparable uh, in price? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think for, for, for my products, uh, price will actually not be the main determining factor because uh, people really have to have a shift in their way they view their protein consumption. Uh, if it's currently, if you want on your plate vegetables, carbohydrates, and meat, uh, then a fermented product is probably not easy to replace the meat, uh, even though I think it's already way cheaper compared to meat. But um, people will just have to view, get a different view of how they would get their nutrition. Uh, and I think uh, the main factor in that is taste. Uh, if you can get a very flavorful product, uh, because in especially in Dutch cuisine, uh, <laughs> meat really brings fra- flavor to a dish, uh, and you would have to replace that with something just as flavorful. Uh, I think even if it will be three times as cheap, but not flavorful, uh, then it's not going to help. Yeah, I mean, yeah. an example is tempeh, for example, right? Like, it's super cheap, but... Not that many people eat it on a daily basis. Yeah. And I think it also depends a little bit on uh, the type of consumer that we're talking about. Um, Because, of course, there's a group of consumers that that may already be vegan or vegetarian. And uh, they may be completely fine with eating tempeh, for example. And they may even appreciate the the taste that it has or the, the fact that we can as consumers add a specific taste to it by marinating it. Uh, but then there's also a group of consumers, like Jasper also kind of mentioned, that, that honestly want to replace the, the meat that they have by a product that can uh, mimic that meat uh, in any way, um, or in every way, actually, that's the right way to say it. Um, so that might be the group of consumers that would be more interested in um, meat analogs that completely mimic the taste and uh, organoleptic experience from real meat, whilst there might be another group of consumers that are more looking for uh, alternatives that are not necessarily similar to meat, but that may give a new taste or a new flavor, a new experience uh, to replace that that meat in their, on their plate. Yeah, thank you. Uh and I have actually also another question kind of related to this. So um, what is it about uh, the field of all proteins that motivated you to, to uh, do your PhDs uh, in this sector? So for most people, usually when you try to steer away from a 
with centric diet. Um, it's often about environmental, ethical, or health reasons. So yeah, I would like to ask for the both of you which ones are the most important for you. For me, uh, it, it is mostly um, actually all three reasons that you mentioned, uh, but mostly the, the animal uh, ethics uh, related to it. Um, I've myself I've been a vegan for almost ten years, I think now. Oh. Um, so that also inspired me a little bit to pursue a PhD in this field, and that yeah really motivates me as well. Um, so it's mostly animal ethics that uh, that motivate me to help yeah consumers to to. Um, yeah, make a decision about what they want on their plate. Yeah. I think for me at the at the start, it was mostly about nutrition. I was very invested in nutrition and I thought it was a very interesting topic. And as I learned more about nutrition and also about the dangers of eating too much meat uh, and processed meat, um, I wanted to focus on alternatives. But then also the culture in Wageningen at the university kind of changed my perspective. And when I arrived there, I was still a meat eater. And now I'm, oh, yeah, I'm a vegetarian. So um, for me, it's now both the nutrition, but also the sustainability. And I think the main driving factor in my career forward will probably be producing a sustainable, tasteful product. Yeah. Um, and where do you see the university going forward with all of these um, projects? Because right now there is just, oh, the computer shut down. Uh, there are just a lot of uh, investments and new projects popping up about the entirety of alt proteins. So do you think we're also going to be moving forward with more independent uh, projects as you are doing now? Or will it also be trying to combine everything to uh, kind of put together the pros of each of, the pro of, each of your projects, as you mentioned already? Well, I hope it's going to be a combination. Uh, but what I've seen from my experience, it's very difficult to find people with different types of expertise and to group them together in a team. It almost never happens. We have some, sometimes there's like a group of food physicists working together with food microbiologists but, or food chemists with food physics, but it's very rare to get a group of every type of expertise. You would need to get a completely integrated alternative protein product together on such a long-term product to actually uh, get the products on the shelf. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it, it is very hard indeed to, to do this, but I do see that there's kind of a, a change been going on the past few years that um, funding um, options are really... They are looking, investment people are looking for um, projects that span over multiple disciplines. Uh, so they, they want, if, if you're applying for a new funding, they want uh, to see collaboration between, for example, food groups and maybe uh, more consumer or marketing groups um, that together uh, write a, a project proposal. So I do think that actually it's going in a direction where we are hopefully collaborating more. Um, and maybe even Jasper and I talked about it yesterday that uh, we want to try something out uh, with his uh, material in uh, the shear cell uh, technology in our lab. See if we can kind of combine the, the microstructure that he can form with um, his material with the more macro uh, structure that we can form with the shear cell to kind of get a yeah, texture that, that is fibrous over multiple length scales. So that's, that's an example of uh, hopefully a collaboration that uh, can happen more often. Yeah, collaborations would actually be incredible to also maintain Wagengen's, uh, let's say, stance on uh, Alprotein since it's been such an important part of the transition for so many years already. 
it would be kind of a pity to be left behind because there is no uh, opportunity to uh, work together more often. Uh, and related to working in the Alprotein fields, so do you guys have any advice for people that might also be interested in uh, following kind of your paths and yeah, what they should do, what they should focus on and uh, these kind of things? Good question. Um, I think uh, don't aim for the horizon, but just do one step at a, at a time. Um, you can always change the direction you're going in. Um, if you're doing, uh, currently you're doing uh, a studies related to uh, economics, for example, then it's still possible to do a bachelor or do a minor in food technology and then get related to the field of food technology, for example. Um, and along the way, you'll definitely change uh, the direction you want to go into. When I started my bachelor's, for example, I thought I want to go into industry and I want to be uh, part of a big company. Uh, and I think that's that's where I need to be. And then I had no clue what industry meant. Uh, what people were doing in industry and uh, your perspective is going to change probably every year. Uh, so I, I would just take it one step at a time and do what you enjoy currently. Uh, maybe also think about if it helps the world or not. <laughs> uh, but don't look, don't plan for the long term already. Yeah, and I think another uh, maybe tip would be to talk to a lot of people. Uh, talk to people about... Um, your ideas, um, exchange ideas with other people. Um, I think that's a that's a great way to form your own vision in uh, maybe finding out what what you want to do as a in, in your career, but also creating a vision on, um, for example, meat alternatives or um, uh, plant proteins in general. Uh, like, what's your own vision in it? What what is it that you can uh, kind of help the world in to to grow in this field? Um, and talking to a lot of different people from different disciplines uh, is really helpful in that, I guess. Yeah, and uh, don't like it's a big boundary to uh, go on and talk to someone, but it's uh, people are always very kind. Uh, they they really want to talk about their topic because most people are very interested in about their topic and they actually want to share as much as they can. Yeah, I mean it's also what we see with the podcast itself. All of our guests just really like talking about these things, and uh, it's also very nice to hear. Uh, about it. Uh, I actually have a couple more questions uh, for you. Do you have a favorite uh, product that is already available in the market that is uh, an alt protein or a meat replacer? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that I'm one of those uh, typical vegans that can eat a, a block of tofu. <laughs> <laughs> just raw. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Maybe that's just because I've been vegan for so long. I don't know. But... Uh, I, I I also like the vers versatility of tofu, um, so you can take it and like flavor it how you however you want it to fit any dish. Uh, but I do also appreciate uh, some real meat analog products once in a while. Um, I think recently I heard that uh, Vivera has a new product. It, it's supposed to be like mimicking beef, I think. Uh, I haven't, seen I haven't tasted it yet, but uh, I, I've heard good things about it. So that's next on my list, uh, maybe to buy. Yeah, I think for, for me, it's the fermented product. So it would be tempeh and, and especially non-soy tempeh. Uh, I think uh, the alternative legumes, which we're also looking into, so uh, lupin, uh, chickpeas, for example, uh, they're much more flavorful and they have a much fresher taste compared to 
the taste of soy. Uh, so I really like those. Uh, and then also I think the maybe it's also from Vivera the plant-based salmon. Oh uh, yeah, I, don't I think like it, it. at the beginning it was awful, and also yet uh, canned tuna plant-based, and there was also cat food. Uh, but then the salmon was actually pretty good. For was it? I've, I've never tasted the salmon before. I, I'm always a bit afraid of it, I guess. Yeah, I would not recommend it. it. Uh, for me, it was the complete opposite. I yeah. find the canned tuna acceptable, but the salmon was... Uh, I really, really, really oh, okay. didn't like oh, it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess it's just personal preference. Yeah. But also then uh, the uh, legume tempest, they are not very commercially available right now. Will it be easy for people to just ferment them on their own as they would do with tempeh? I yeah, it's possible, but it's also quite difficult. You need you need an incubator of some sort. You need to have like a stable temperature and preferably also a little bit of a humid environment. Um, but then you can do a lot with just adding a lot of starter. Uh, but you also need to know what you're doing because it will sporulate, and if uh, if you leave it for too long, it will just sporulate all over the place, and you've just got a very dusty room with spores. Uh, and then it will never be possible to do anything else because the spores will just always be present until you completely disinfect everything. Um, so be mindful of that, but uh, also y- you can definitely try if you just keep an eye on it and don't leave it for longer than three days. Yeah. Then I have one last question. Um, what is the biggest obstacle right now that you think we have against the transition from animal products to something more sustainable and plant-based? I think research-related, it's that still, at least in the Netherlands, most of the the funding in uh, food research, I think actually is worldwide, not even in the Netherlands, uh, is going still to to meat and dairy research. Um, It's only a very small amount of the funding that's available that is going to alternative proteins. I think a big step there is also for the the government and any funding agencies to shift their focus, uh, <laughs> give us uh, more funding so that uh, I guess the, the researchers at universities can show the potential of uh, these alternative proteins. Yeah, also in Wageningen, Wageningen is deemed to be the most sustainable university of the Netherlands, but then still a major part of our research is uh, livestock cultivation. and. Yeah. Uh, I, ju- I feel like we're putting so much effort into that research, into, um, for example, uh, seeing how pigs behave uh, so they would harm each other less. Uh, well, I think, yeah, but we should just get rid of most of the pigs and then focus on the alternatives. Uh, so I think in, in that way, uh, we indeed really need to shift in, in where the money goes. But um, I think... Yeah, I feel like it's most of the technologies are are there or are being researched. Yeah, especially in the Netherlands, uh, yeah. you can get access to almost every type of food and uh, alternative proteins or plant-based proteins are already at a very low cost. So it's also that people just need to get used to them and they need to be uh, put in more, um, more places. So I think uh, the university should focus more on plant-based dishes in their cafeteria, for example, uh, but also the government can uh, emphasize more the plant-based meat. Uh, maybe the supermarkets also have a role to play here. Yeah, definitely. Also considering that the price of meat is not really reflective of what the fact actually is. I think I remember definitely. reading that yeah. if we t- took into account 
uh, the subsidies, the CO2 emissions and everything, meat would be at least 40% more expensive, yep. which would put it at almost double the prices yep. of some all-protein products. And the same story is true uh, for any dairy, especially in the Netherlands. Oh, yeah. with, uh, we are kind of the dairy country, right? <laughs> There's a lot of subsidy going into the dairy products. And still, mm, traditional milk is already more expensive than a lot of soy milks and uh, others. Like, well... There are a bunch of reasons, but it's almost doubled in price uh, since last year. So it is quite cheap now to drink soy milk instead. Yeah, I think uh, I think for for meat alternatives, at least for me personally, it's easier to talk uh, to eat meat alternatives than dairy alternatives because uh, alternative cheeses, like tasteful alternative cheeses, are not widely available. Uh, alternative yogurts are also not very tasteful, and to me, still have that that soy flavor quite often. Uh, so I think there there could be a lot of research, uh, but also it's uh, mostly related to flavor. So um, it's also research which the industry can do themselves, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Also, if our listeners would like to know more about the flavors of cheeses, go back and listen to our previous episode, "Cheese uh, but Make It Vegan" or something like that. It's one of our previous episodes we had oscar that also was from the food microbiology department and talked about all these things and it's actually very interesting how the flavors form and influence what cheese is for all of us um i think we can close the episode now uh thank you so much for uh being on here for us uh and i hope to uh get out of questions for you from our listeners on all of our social media yeah thanks josh for having us yeah thanks bye bye thank you for listening to the podcast of the wachingen alprotein project